Hello, this is the Tribe Stories, the curated sermons, conversations, and collections of poetry of the Tribe Lagos. The Tribe Lagos is a gospel expression based in the city of Lagos, committed to reaching the next generation with the message of God's love and grace. May this refresh and revive you as you listen. And our worship is beyond praise and worship. It's not just in singing, it's not just in song. It's not just what happens when we gather on Sunday morning or Thursday. Worship is a lifestyle, it's a culture, it's a posture of your life. And what the scripture that came to mind with me was John 4, uh, 24, where Jesus said to the woman, you know, the time is coming, but no longer will they worship at the mountain, but that um, those that will worship will worship in spirit and in truth. And for me, that's, I think, what defines uh, the phrase created for worship. And Jesus was speaking about a time when people would no longer uh, worship in places. Worship wouldn't be something that would happen solely in places and at certain times. But that worship would be something that defined the existence of people who truly believed in God. And two things. Um, well, first of all, worship. I'd like to define worship as uh, ultimate, ascribing ultimate uh, acknowledgement to something and i say something because the truth is we are created for worship uh that song says i was made by you i was made for you i am unfulfilled without um without what communion. communion and so worship is if if i had the time to drill down properly you'd see that worship is really not as complicated as we make it seem it really is just ultimate acknowledgement of anything and we worship something already our hearts, our minds, our bodies were, were created for worship. We, were, we are unfulfilled without it. So it's like a vacuum. If there isn't something in the place of God, if there is no God, it's like a vacuum. So already, whether you worship Jesus, you know God or not, you're already worshiping something. You're already worshiping at some altar or a few. And so when God is calling us to worship in spirit and in truth, He's saying not just, he's, he's defining how we're going to worship, if this is how we're going to worship him. He's saying that in spirit, this means you're going to be encapsulated by his spirit. I, I, I think what goes, comes to mind again is that Genesis 1, creation and formation, where before, uh, before we ate the fruit and then our eyes were open and da 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 da, we sort of existed in the spirit. And so we understood things by the spirit, saw from the spirit, created, continued the work of creation from the spirit. We lived in the spirit. And what Jesus was saying, basically, there was, a, there was a time that would come when people would be baptized in the Holy Spirit and no longer would they, you know, try to make amends with blood and goats, but instead your lives would be living sacrifices. You would then sacrifice, um, give yourself as living worship so from from drawing from you the basis of worship is spirit and truth so it it is your wholeness the whole of you giving back to god so basically just relinquishing killing the flesh first of all because the spirit and the flesh cannot you know they are enmity they are are enemies they cannot coexist and both lord over over a being and so one has to give way to the other and so living worshiping in spirit requires yielding submitting to the spirit and letting the flesh die and then in truth it's also submitting to the truth okay um this is our third month we'll be doing a series called uh, the art of worship and it was inspired by john paul so different speakers 
um, myself I'm leading the conversation she just even shared on spirit and truth um, some ministers come and watch this journey as well um, so it's something that I think is very very important so John Paul you know Jesus had this conversation with the Samaritan woman and she says she understands that Jesus is a Jew and you're not supposed to have dealings with us and you guys complain that we don't worship in the right place and you know the Samaritans were the Samaritans claim to be uh, descendants I think of the tribe of Manasseh also. but the Jews did not see them as part of them because they after they were taken into slavery the remnants of that tribe that came back, they came back mixed with pagan religions. And they mixed the Torah with whatever they brought in, you know. And uh, they just believed God, you only worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the Samaritans said you had to worship God on Mount Gerizim. So the conversation Jesus was having with Samaritan when he was telling her that the time is coming and it is now that you will not need to go to any mountain or go to any temple. That the Father is seeking worshippers that worship in spirit and in truth. So I think two things in spirit and in truth. Uh, okay, first, she told a Samaritan woman the Father. He was introducing God to her as the Father. So which means worship is not. We do not worship a far off being that just purely access him through sacrifices or acts of worship he wants to establish a relationship with us so we must come to god in him as father that is first and he wants to he wants us to worship in the spirit and the truth because first god is spirit so our worship must be accurate and it must be authentic i don't know if i can link it to the millennial post of uh, our generation so many people are living the institutional church i see uh, because i think it's true but i think so many of us chase experience so we want the move of the spirit but we forget that there is truth and if we just chase experience we end up just and that's all it will be we don't know who we are worship and that's what jesus was telling us you do not know who you worship but we know who we worship so spirit and truth the experience must be there but knowledge of god how he wants to be known so um, there's kind of like this i don't want to call it a battle but the extent where reformed priests don't like charismatics charismatics don't like reform no, there's, there's this. but personally i think uh, I, I call myself a reformer. Charismatic. The reformation, its call was to go back to the heart of the knowledge of God. That's theology. We must know God through His Word. And the charismatic revivals wanted the move of the Spirit. Both movements wanted a reconciliation to God. So if you have people that know God with proper theology, you know and chase after the move of the spirit like i don't think the world is 
the world knows what's coming. If we know God the way He wants to be known now, that's proper theology. And we chase after the move of the Holy Spirit. So that's what Jesus was telling the Samaritan man. We must worship the Spirit and in truth. So, so, so let me try and expunge what he said now. He said that there are two sects. And please follow. The reformed and the what? And the charismatics. The reformed guys are the guys who want what? Just knowledge. You just want to know the Bible and know about God. The charismatics are those who want to experience the spirit. They are more expressive. They are focused on the giftings. And those two guys are, are extreme. So even in Abuja, when I went, a friend of mine, she's fully reformed. And it was a tough one. Because sh- in church, we were shouting. She was like, just give me eye. That is your doctrine, right? It's about doctrine. Doctrine! Doctrine! But then, guess what? Most of us prefer the extreme of, of what? The charismatics. Do you know why? Because we don't want to labor in the word and know God. And honestly, it could be lazy. We could be very lazy Christians. Filth in, in the field of sin, in the field of lackadaisical Christianity. So, Lily says, to, to worship you must know. To worship you must know the person you're worshiping. In truth, through the Bible, and in spirit, through his experience. And he says that we are what reformed what charismatics. So we are both, we know the word, we know who God is, and we experience God. Fantastic. So Eva. Okay, I will just speak an aspect of worship. Um, the first mention of the act of worship was when Abraham was sacrificing Isaac. And we also remember the story that when the children of Israel, when God wanted them to leave Egypt, he asked them to leave so that he can make sacrifices so that he could worship him. So it's just rings a bell in my head how worship goes with sacrifice. So, and I'm just, I was just thinking, so what does that mean? Because the Bible also enjoins us to present ourselves as living sacrifice, which is our reasonable worship. So what does the act of sacrifice entail? There must be fire, there will be, uh, <laughs> there will be wood. I hope nobody sees Isaac here. <laughs> and there must be a laying down of something. So, so there are two, two things. One, like Lily said, we must always lay down our lives in the place of worship. And I really, really believe that worship is the only place where our heart truly responds to the heart of God. Because God communicates to us in spirit. So the Bible says he's seeking worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. So if we are made like God and we are made in his image, then we communicate in worship in spirit, which is like our native language, like our the real us on the inside. And that's why sometimes worship is not restrained, except you are taking it, right? You can experience God, you can experience things that you feel like God is close. There are sometimes when I'm worshiping, I feel like there's a presence there. Like sometimes we feel like we've been embraced. Sometimes we feel so many things. Okay. So I think that in spirit means that God is calling us through the true our true nature, who we really are in Christ Jesus. 
And the beautiful thing about it is that the sacrifice of Jesus is the ultimate, like, is like, um, is like the temple, is like where the sacrifice is done. It's already made, it's, it's already ready for us to enter. You know, in the time of children of Israel, they couldn't approach God until the sacrifice was perfect. Like they, they, they picked the perfect lamb and the high, the high priest did not die in the Holy of Holies. Then they could celebrate and they could worship God when the sacrifice was complete. And now we have the perfect sacrifice in the lamb who is Jesus. So we can now come boldly before him. And when we lay down our lives at the altar and worship, we lay down, we are empty. And that's why Jesus was telling Samaritan woman, he says, come to me and I'll give you living water that you will not be thirsty again. So every time we come to worship and we lay down, we empty and we are filled with the water which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps us worship. He begins to do what water does to our bodies, our physical bodies. He, it refreshes us. It brings to us the life that we are. It makes our life new. That's why, you know, we, when we don't drink, I'm not a healthy yeast or a feed farm anything but when we drink water when we don't we know the difference not just in that we are thirsty but we feel it like in our bodies we feel like we are not healthy enough like we need to detox or we need to clean or whatever but that's what the whole is because jesus was saying water that you will not be thirsty again and in john 7 he says that he will give us water you know, and that he was referring to the Holy Spirit and give us um, the Holy Spirit. So basically what I'm saying is when we worship, we lay down our lives, we empty ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we do not need to do anything so that our work, we can enter his presence or we can worship. The sacrifice was already done for us to come boldly with our worship. First thing she said is that it comes with, with sacrifice and then she spoke about Christ is the perfect sacrifice. And then she, she, she said that as you sacrifice, there's what? There's emptiness. And then the Holy Spirit brings in what? Water to cleanse and refresh. Um, Lily, let's delve into sacrifice a bit. Because they are right. Worship must come with a sense of sacrifice. But then we also don't like the word self-righteousness or self-work or self or self so we the the, the new the, i was at the new church but most there's a school of thought that says that god has done everything is completing in christ so what is what is our path for sacrifice what is our own sacrifice path yes jesus was the perfect sacrifice you know the land thing once and for all. But then uh, at the same time, he's also like a prototype because we're made for worship, you know. So it wasn't just, God wasn't just like, I'm so bloodthirsty, I can't stand one more cow like Jesus. Please just go down there like, please. You know, I'll wait 33 years until you can, you know, slit your neck and put some nails in your hands. I just need human blood. He's not a bloodthirsty God. What he truly was looking for was someone to go correct, correct something that was broken in us. We were made for worship the way that this phone was made for communication. The day the phone starts 
showing only TV. Like I can only use it for YouTube. I can't call again. Maybe to send you know, the phone, the ash button or something. Some key doesn't work anymore. I have to get a new one. The, the core purpose for which it was created is um, no longer being fulfilled. And so in that very same way, we are created for worship because worship is not just, like I said, in songs. It's also about communion. It's in worship that we are able to express all that we were made for. It's in communion that God is able to download what his work of creation is supposed to continue like. It's in worship, it's in communion that we're able to say that he's able, he's able to, you know, predict that the, we're able to predict that the kingdoms of men will one day become the kingdom of God because he's constantly downloading. And so Christ came and showed us how to live that life of worship. He came, yielded, submitted to God, fully God and fully man. He was just as much God. But then he came to show men, to show the sons of men how to live, how to truly be the sons of men and the sons of God. And so in giving his life, in not just in uh, not just at the cross of Calvary, but then you know he'd say things like, uh, my meat is to do the will of my father. When he was tempted, the premise that the devil used was, Shibi, you are God. Shibi, you are the son of God. Shibi, God loves you. You know, do this, do this, do that. But then in every answer, we can recognize that he was saying, yes, I'm God. Yes, he's God. Yes, we're father and son. Yes, he loves me. But then there's a, there's a purpose for my life here on earth. There's a purpose for every life here on earth that I've come for. And I'm not going to step out of alignment. I'm not going to step out of submission, out of communion to prove anything. And so even though he had every right to turn stones to bread, even though he could have just taken a step and, you know, been flying in the skies, literally. You know, he said, no, that's not what, I, what I'm here for. That's not what the Father and I have agreed. That's not what he sent me for. And so he's showing us, not just in his death, but that um, in, the, in his entire life, that he came submitted to a higher purpose. He came submitted to the Spirit of God that came upon him at baptism. And that when he left, that was what he was giving us. He was saying, this is the spirit that will come after I've left. And that's what empowers you to live this life that I've lived. And so he's dying, ushered in that era of the Holy Spirit and then the gifts and, you know, intimacy and communion again with God, relationship. But that could not be, that cannot be accessed until we, until we die, until, the, until a seed falls to the ground and dies. It abides alone. It's only when we're able to connect that we're able to express new parts and dimensions of ourselves even in everyday relationships someone used a, used a, a, an example an analogy of how three people were friends and then one died and then you know to console himself he said oh i'm really sad but at least i'll have more of some to myself now that lily's gone but then after a while you realize that Somto is not the same without lily the vibe is not the same when lily's not there so in communion with God, it's that way. It's because by, by functioning, we seem to be functioning. But like I said, this phone is only at half capacity. All it does is open YouTube videos for me. When we connect with God, when we are intimate, when, we're, when we are like sons with him again, we see fully what we are made, what we are created for, and why we live. So I, I went to research the meaning of worship. And the Webster Dictionary does a poor job with worship. It does a poor job. In Hebrew, it means about seven things. It means, and those, I'm sure you guys know already, the, the, the guys, you guys. 
And they are all here looking at me like, please say it. Say it accordingly. So I'll try. It means halal, yada, zama, toda, shada, barak, tehila. And in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament, it was shama. So I went to start studying what it meant. And all, of, all the scriptures that pronounced worship had a few things. One was bow down. Two was reverence. Three was don't try to understand. So don't try to understand. So it was bow down. Reverence. Don't try to understand. And the reason why this is so foundational is that you can't fake the funk. You can't bow down to God if you don't come in the right way. So without faith, it is what? It is impossible to worship God. Without faith, it is impossible to what? To worship God. So worship must have two things. It must have the knowledge of who God is. That is love. So love and faith come in the package of worship. And what Lily said right now is mind-blowing. She said that Christ is the perfect what? Theology. So Christ is the perfect theology. So when Christ died, he didn't, he didn't die as, as, as Freddie would say, he didn't die for, for us. He died to show us what we are meant to become. So he didn't die just for us to go and flex the world. No. He died to show us who we are meant to become. And Paul, all through Galatians and Corinthians, spoke about the battle of the flesh and the spirit and how they are in constant fiction and there's a battle and our daily dying to our carnal nature the flesh our daily is part of our worship so what she said about i beseech you to what to bring your blood as a what as a living what sacrifice that is the first point of worship we will speak about music because I also want us to talk about that. But let's first get that the, in his words, worship must start by knowing who your father. I'll give you a very interesting story. Um, who's the most powerful man in Nigeria, cash-wise? I think it's Dangote. Or IBB. It's one of them, Sha. We're not sure. But somebody knows. I think it's IBB. Or, or, or it's one of them. When I worked in my former company, we met IBB's daughter. No, Dangote's daughter. Um, and we went to pitch to her. Now this was very interesting. Somebody said that if you meet Dangote in his office, in his office space, he's a brutal man. He's a brutal what? Businessman. Like he is not having it. He's not laughing with you. He's like, you see, he can ask for five naira change. I'm serious. Like he's that, he's that, um, what's the word? Inal. Shrewd. Please, I'm going somewhere with this. But then if you meet Dangote through his daughter, it's a fantastic experience. Because when he wants to talk too much, daddy calms down. And what Christ did for us 
was to show us what? God as what? Father. So before Christ died, they all saw God not through what? The eyes of what? The Father. So when he said that, when he met, he met the Samaritan woman, she said, Come and meet the what? My Father. He had a relationship with what? The Father. So I'm saying that the first, before we talk about reverence or music, the first basis of worship is what? Relationship. Jesse. Continue. I want to read something. Isaiah 1, verse 13. I'll read from if there's a message, that's fine. But quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, meetings, meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, religion, religion. While you go right on sinning, when you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And do you know why? Because you have not been tear- because you have been tearing people to pieces, and your hands are bloody. Go home and worship. Clean up your act. Sweep your lives clean of your evil doing. And so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong. Learn to do good. Walk for justice. Help the down and out. Stand up for the homeless. Go to bats for the defenseless. And then he drops the mic. Yeah, this is God. <laughs> so, you know, we don't have to come to the tribe to worship. It's nice we gather here to corporate worship. But if this is all there, it's just meetings, meetings. I don't this we there's another conference, there's another place. That's not what God is looking for. He's looking for obedience. Because worship must lead to obedience. Acts 13 22 says that David was the man after God had. Because he did that all commanded him to. So, you know, we love and we, we say we want to want to be in my um, people after God's heart. We want to um, be used by God. <laughs> and you know, I don't know. You remember when you got born again? You are the altar. You're crying. God use me, use me. And three months later, you're complaining that the church is using you. <laughs> See, um, I'm not. I'm not saying that uh, there are ministries or churches that don't manipulate people into uh, promoting them but it will cost us our worship it must lead to obedience and obedience is usually hard hallelujah so worship in totality is is not it's not it's more than it it's when we live here what has god told you to do go and do it okay i would like to um start with the question you asked about since Jesus has told you all, like, what do we have to do? When they came to ask Jesus, he said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, right? That means he, and then the Bible also encourages us that Jesus came as a perfect example. So an example is a lookalike, is how it should be done. So if Jesus came to fulfill the law, and he came as an example, 
that means we ought also to fulfill the law. The only difference is that in that time, the law was to show them that they couldn't do it on their own and they needed a savior. Now we have a savior, so we have all it takes to fulfill the law because we have a savior. So we have a part to play and grace calls us to a higher standard. Grace does not give us an excuse. What grace does for us is if you see a woman, look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery already. That's what grace does to you. Grace does not wait for you to commit the act. We have the sacrifice of Jesus. As a royal priesthood, we have to make sure that our city is right with God, which is the role of a priest. And if we fail in our duty as priests, as royal priests, meaning that as royal priests, we are the only ones who can get access to the king of kings because we are the royal priests. And if we don't get it right as royal priests, our nation doesn't have the life to see the path to the king of kings. So we are called to a higher call of responsibility as believers. I cannot see a prince freaking out about a buffet in his house. Like, oh my God, I'm chilling. Like, we have like seven course meals. Those things don't appeal to them because of what they are called to. They know that those things serve the purpose to which they have been called. So if I enter a Ferrari as a prince, it's not because I want to show people in town. I need to get to where I'm going to faster because the nation there depends on it. They have, they make decisions that will cause, that will stop wars. They make decisions that will put kings in power and remove kings for the safety of a child that is locked up somewhere or something that will happen. They make laws so that the wrong people go to jail and the right people don't stay in jail. So those, those are the things that consume the mind of a royal and not what food is eating or how many um, waiters in the kitchen or who is washing their car, like the new laser shoe and all those things. Those things don't preoccupy them. And that's why Paul says that soldiers do not concern themselves with civilian affairs. So as worshippers, we come to worship to refuel, to get instructions, to get new orders, to go to the field. That's why we are worshippers. Wow. If you came earlier, um, when Nonso was, when Ugo was leading prayer, he said something powerful. He said, when God calls you, he what? He spends you. When God what? Calls you. Like Christ, he what? He spends you. So when he calls you, he has to sharpen. Um, one poet said something. He said, he said, in the world, it's very sad because at the end of everything, you what? You die. But in Christ, let's get out of at the beginning. You die first. You die first. So, you die first. So, when you now die, then you what? You live. And living is not of you because you are what? You're dead. So when he's spending you, he's not spending you. He's spending his deposits in what? In you. And it's very important to understand that that is the foundation of worship. So it clicks now that you are created to be spent. You are to be spent. Thankfully, 
When you know the person spending you, you are cool, you are okay, you are alright. It's not your wicked pastor or your selfish uncle. And he can make that demand because he knows that for every New Testament believer, you should already be in a relationship of communion. So like she said, it's that relationship where you are never thirsty because you've tasted the water that is life. And then rather than just being like, well, yes, we are trees that are planted by the rivers, but then we are also like, we are like, we from out of our bellies flow streams of living water as well. So when people come, your uncle, your pastor, your wife, your brother, your sister, you know, what they should take is from that overflow. For something to flow out, it's because there's already, you've reached, you are full in yourself and then you're just giving out excess. And so sometimes, I, I always say this, when I start to get cranky and itchy and everything seems to just bite, I already, I know that, okay, you know, you're tampering with your actual, what should be your actual contents. You're not full. You're not overflowing anymore. This is from, this is my personal stash, you know, that I'm giving from. And so without intimacy, without worship, without living a life where there's constant communion, you can't, you can't do it. You'll say it's impossible to die to self. you say, oh, like, no, I must show them, like, eh, do they think they can take me for granted? No, ah, you don't know me. I'm from Ondo, <laughs> you know, and I put something up on my uh, Insta stories. I think Bishop Berner said something. Christians do not need tough skin. They need dead flesh. You need to be Word. dead to self. It's not about, you know, tough skin, Word. thick skin, elastic heart. Like, da, da, da. It's about knowing that no longer I that live, but Christ in me. Let me share with you some hard scriptures. I, I can share it. Let's go to Proverbs 1.22 now. Solomon here was not saved. He was not saved, Solomon, in this. But read what he said in 1.22. Who's there? Anybody? Uh, any translation? But I don't mind like NLT, the message. Proverbs 1.22. It's a hard verse, but I will share it. Solomon said there are four kinds of people on earth. The simple, the fool, the scornful, and the wise. The simple. So he said, Oh, simple ones, how long what? Will you love what? Simplicity. And honestly, most Christians want to be what? Simple. Just, just, just live for yourself. Simple. Let's open to Proverbs 1.22. No, Proverbs 21.11. This is, this is a bit hard, but it's fine. We can share it. Proverbs 21, 11. Because what, what Lily said now really hits me. That God is the one that spends you and, he, and people are allowed to draw from you. And it might be painful, but because you don't have thick skin, you have what? Dead flesh. You don't feel it. Now, we'll, we'll still go to practical things. It says here, it says, when the scorner is punished, the what? So listen, he said, when the what? Scorner. So the scorners are those who don't believe in God. Who mock God. Who mock God. And guess what? They are, they are on your Instagram feed. There are, are plenty. plenty. When the scorner is punished, the words, the simple, most of us, most of us are made right. And when the words, wise are what? Instructed. He receive knowledge. 
So there's the simple, there's the fool, there's the scornful, and there's the wise. And I'm telling you that most of us are in the simple. The fools are those who don't believe in God. The scornful are those who, are, who mock God. The simple are those who don't want to grow. The simple are those who don't want to, want to grow. And I'm saying it because for a long time, I thought that Christianity was about God only working in me. But it's a part of me what's working my salvation in God. Some of us are waiting for God to grow us. I've been there. I'm there. We've been simple. So, like she said about grace, grace empowers you against sin. Most of us are waiting for grace. We sin and go back to grace. That's true. When you are, and Lily said it, when you are what? You are a Christian. You get what? Instruction. And obedience is what? It's painful. So this verse, please write it down. Every time you are feeling, you are feeling wobbly, 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 read it. So most of us wait for the scorner to be punished before we are, we are what? We are made wise. But can we be wise enough to receive what? Instructions. Before we close, let's talk about worship music because that's a part of that's a part of who we really are. And my question is, and then we'll, we'll get responses. My question is, what is the place of worship music in this generation? In this sense, some people don't really read the Bible anymore. Yeah, some people don't read the Bible anymore. Honestly, some people just listen to some songs and they're good. What do you think? For those who don't read their Bibles anymore, please try. Like, encourage yourself. Because there's no substitute for the truth. In spirit and in truth. To worship in truth means to submit yourself to all that God has revealed about himself in scripture. There's so many things that you need to be obedient about. But then where there is no law, there's no offense. If you don't even know what the law is, if you don't know what the command is, you don't even know when you've erred. In the past, we'd have kings who'd live four generations and then suddenly find a book somewhere in the temple and say, bring, let me even read. And say, yay, we've been doing it all wrong. Everybody, you are wearing sackcloth, rub ashes for head. Let's put our faces on the ground for three days. Maybe God will talk to us. It did happen. Let's not be like those people, please. Like, this, is, this should be our lives. This is, should be literally your daily bread. This is how we do life. It's not enough to just acknowledge, to just, oh, I know God. You have to live for him. You have to live by him. If you're not able to, like it says, gaze into the mirror as we, as we become, we be, as we behold, sorry, we become. It's in gazing at this truth that you become a person who worships in truth as well. So for worship music, before I could read it, um, worship music, like I said, cannot take the place of the Bible. But what I love about it is in all our different expressions of worship, in all the different words and languages that we use, in all, in all the ways that we share our different understandings and revelations of God, we are all better equipped to worship Him even more. So your, um, the song that he, you know, um, IBK sang, a very lovely song, was telling us about someone who was had been his mind had been battered by you know a suicide bomb and a boss with kids you know and all these terrible things happening in the world but then he still chose to praise you know that this is still god and while for for maybe ibk let's say ibk wrote the song now while for him that's him 
taking his experiences and subjecting it to the truth. God is still God. God is still good. And he's worthy of my praise. Somebody here might not have read his Bible enough <laughs> to come to that understanding or that truth. But then this song might point that person to the truth. So what we get with songs and worship is only a, is, it's really, really small, but it's effective. It shouldn't, we shouldn't now throw it away that oh, worship is a lifestyle. There's no point in worship, uh, you know, and yeah. I'll, I'll leave it there. So Joshua's battle with the Jerichans, uh, <laughs> the, what, you know, there is no way Joshua would have come up with that military strategy that you march around the city six times, then on the seventh day, yeah, you just break to shout, shouting and singing and praising God and the walls will come down. There's no way he would have come up with that strategy. Music is a tool for us to know. It's just a tool. I don't, I don't want to say we can do it without it, but it is, it is not worship. It, it just equips us to worship better. Um, if music was worship, almost some of us will not make, will not make them. You know, Christine Kane said, uh, if she sings Ocean, right? <laughs> Christine Kane says, if she sings Ocean, everybody will drown. Uh, if, if I, like, okay, this beautiful song that we all sing now, Surrounded. If I sing Surrounded now, you guys, Surrounded. So, if music was worship, you know, some of us will not make it. It just empowers us to worship. Let me, um, let us read Isaiah 54 to show us how important it is. Um, let me just read it sharply. Sing, barren woman who has never had a baby. Fill the air with song. You have never experienced childbirth. You are ending up with far more children than all those childbearing women. God says so. Amen. This passage was not written for extroverts alone. Okay, but what I was going to say about worship music is this. If you go to the airport and the attendant there is speaking Chinese to you, you are going to be a little confused even if you like her accent. That's what happens when you don't know the word of God and you sing songs. No, it's because a lot of times we enjoy the music and we live the same because worship is a spiritual exercise. If we are not fed by the word of God, which is spirit, we don't relate to the spirit in the music. We just enjoy the song and we live and we are the same and there's no communion with God. Has anybody experienced something like you are in, in a gathering of worship, you see how somebody is worshipping and it affects your worship? It does not have anything to do with your own worship. You're just moved by the other person's emotion. But you're lost. So for if that person can experience that, you also can experience that. And it's only the Holy Spirit that gives that. So when you say worship is not music, it's true because worship is given by the Holy Spirit. And music just, because God is a God that loves enjoyment, music helps us enjoy worship. I learned that there's, there's how you go to a garden and they will sing one song and your worship will move from zero to like eight. Am I alone? Uh -huh, okay. No, no, over, over ten. Like, guys. <laughs> so, 
what I've come to learn is that I can worship now with any kind of music because I connect to the spirit behind the song. I can even learn to enjoy the song itself because I'm not starting from the song. I'm starting from the worship. So, so let's go to Zephaniah 3 verse 9 as we round up. I will purify the what? The speech of all people so that everyone can what? Worship the Lord together. And we end with Eva's, Eva's conversation. And she says that when I go to a place, I don't start from there. I start from my own. For the, for the past three weeks, me and Freddie, we were trying to define the language of heaven. So every morning we were talking about it. And we've agreed that God speaks spirit. That God speaks what? He speaks spirit. That's the language of the heaven. And God said he will restore what? That to you. So when we have everybody here who has a relationship with God, it's beautiful. You can log on to thetribelagos.com or email us at hello at thetribelagos.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter on The Tribe Lagos. God bless.